Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to this week's uh, Caucus, which is RNZ's politics podcast. I'm Tim Watkin. I'm Guy Espin. I've made it to Caucus 3. No one's kicked me out yet. <laughs> Not yet. And I'm Lisa Owen. Hey, we're recording this at about 10 to 10 on Thursday, July 20th. On the Caucus agenda today, um, well, we're going to start with Labour's fiscals, uh, look at a bit of the Greens uh, families package and Materia Ture's uh, quite uh, controversial confession. Um, we might get into Winston Peters later on. Guys, um, fiscals, numbers, Do- yeah. dollars. Dollars and cents. Dollars are now on the table from, from, from Labour. What do we make of that? Um, interesting, actually, because when you look at it and dig down, there isn't that much difference. They like to state that, that they're at different ends of the spectrum. But if you look at some of the main measures, like how much debt we're going to be carrying, how much government spending there is going to be, they're not that far apart. They're aiming for around the same the same markers. So core crown spending, Labor's going to keep that just below 30%. I think national is probably 1% or 2% less than that over the same period of time. Yep. Um, and the other thing is debt, bringing our debt down. And, and Labor is aiming for 20% of GDP by 2022, I think it yeah, is. and national 18%. So that's your no, difference. No, less. Well, because 18 by 20% by then, but by continuing then, Yeah, but at budget down. time, Guy, you probably remember that um, Stephen Joyce, looking at these projections for our debt going so well, he then whipped out a new target and said, actually, we're aiming for 10 to 15% of GDP and debt by 2025. So that's the main difference, I think, there. Yeah, but there, similar there of those a, markers. There was a bit of um, chest beating at that time from yeah. Stephen Joyce my, my debt is going to be smaller yes. th- th- than your debt. <laughs> Rainy day debt. But, but roughly, as yeah. Lisa says, my view would be be similar. These are pretty sound um, costings from an international perspective as those parameters outlined by Lisa show. I think the key thing here, isn't it, is you are getting a stark choice between the tax cuts yep. on offer from National and the increased social spending from Labour and look, that's not uh, too far a concept to us, is it, that, that, that you have that sort of breakdown. No. So I, I think it's quite good from a public policy view. We we are presented with quite two quite uh, stark and different choices there. It was interesting that I don't think Stephen Joyce really quite knew where to attack Labour's plan. He couldn't quite <laughs> no, work out I, whether I, they, I say they were spending too, too much or too little. right with that because the, the sort of bat that's been used to bludgeon them and the Greens in the past is that they're fiscally irresponsible. But they've both signed up, both those parties have signed up, obviously, to this fiscal responsibility where they've set out the parameters and they're not dissimilar to Nationals' parameters. So if he was going to pick up that bat, he was doing himself an injury as well mm. because he was criti- he would be criticising the similar targets that they have. So, so it does come down to those philosophical questions yeah, or does. ideology. So two points on that. One is, Guy, and you mentioned the international things, but they're arguing with the, the Crown debt, they're talking about you know 20% versus 18% or 15%. Um, you know, you look at a Canada or a Britain or... Or a, a US, they're up eighty, a hundred percent. So, 
the difference of a couple of points between National Labor is very different from the countries we have to compare mm. with, which are carrying significantly bigger debt than us. So it's not radical stuff from Labor in that sense. But what J- Joyce says is rainy day politics, right? He's yeah. saying, you know, this Brace is going to mean we st- $7.2 billion for, you know, of extra borrowing. That is more interest we have to spend. That is more, you know, you That's right. and risk it, management it, it, you're well, talking it's about. It's a risk appetite, isn't it? What What is my risk appetite? What am I comfortable with ha- carrying in terms of debt and how prepared do I think I need to be for those kinds of rainy days? And that'll be the argument that, that National I- yeah. is making. And, and, and Joyce will, will feed it that way, I suppose. He's saying it's tax and spend now, you know, if, if you actually look at it down to the detail it's a difficult argument to sustain but I suspect it could be a powerful argument for him on the campaign trail. He is able to factually say Labour will borrow more and spend more yep. and they are vulnerable on that to a degree because mm. the common narrative has been in that direction and Labour uh, MPs and former MPs will tell you exactly that, <laughs> that they have been vulnerable in the past and they have to work so hard, which is why you see and credit to them, an 18 page document, it's all laid out there yeah. they've put it all out there and they feel that they need to do that because yep. they have been vulnerable to that in the past. And I was talking to some bankers just yesterday who were saying they were really impressed with, with like how slick Labor's presentation was, the numbers did seem to add up and they hadn't actually stuffed anything up this time, <laughs> which is pretty unusual for Labor in recent years. So. Yeah, But there's a couple of things that are still missing from this that we don't know. So there's $10 billion of unaccounted for spending. That's the Winston Fund, is it? Yeah, well, well, yes and no. It's yes part of the part Part of it, yeah, we'll agree. Yeah. Part of it is for that. Part of it is just for um, uh, extra bits that budgets usually carry that they might have to put up. Or a pre-election announcement that or they don't want on the books. Yeah. That's, that's true. A bit of that's true. Yeah. Room for that. And there's also a hundred million dollars in extra revenue coming through, which everyone is assuming is going to be a tourist tax. Levy, yeah, right. It's going to be sort. announced soon. But so I, a bit there. Yeah. When you look at the numbers, though, so what Labor is basically saying is that it will spend seventeen billion dollars more, and it's going to go on health, education, over four years, right? over four years yeah. family package, and the super fund. So they're going to start paying into the super fund immediately and in essence borrowing to do that because this is like just leveraging against your, your revolving credit account or your your um, overdraft, yep. you know. So it's still money that you have to pay back and you are paying enormous amounts of interest on as a, as a country. So they're going to borrow to feed into the super fund and those are... Those are the main choices, I suppose, you're making as a voter. National's going to give you money in your back pocket. You can decide what you want to spend it on, <gasps> or Labor is going to aim for the greater good, it says, in spending right. in these areas. Yeah, that's where the division is. And, and, and it's interesting because if they play this correctly, it just occurs to me they could have some pretty interesting uh, dynamics in the campaign. OK, if you're saying I'm going to spend, what is it, $8 billion over four years more on health, yep, right? Yep, that's it. Now, and, OK, so that sounds all very well to me. But if I can go into a campaign and in sequence tell you what you might get for that, you know, whether it's an extra five doctors for these uh, towns or something more specific that the voter can get their heads around. And I imagine if they've done that work and if Mm -hmm. they choose to present it in that way, that could be pretty powerful. Because if I just say, I'm going to flick eight billion at the health system, it kind of goes over my head. And is eight billion a big number? Well, yeah, it is to me, but who, you know, numbers are difficult to grasp. And there was no detail at this point. There wasn't now. But I I imagine that they will be sitting there saying, this allows us to do X and Y and get right into people. Homes because that's where the political, emotional 
uh, attraction will Draw be gained, in my view. And, and what they did, they did say, they did mention they referenced mental health, they said more operations, and they talked about Pharmac. Well, so those things are on the table. I, I think this is um, more good luck than good planning, to uh, <laughs> announcing it in, in this week when there is a string of stories circulating in the media about the pressure, the winter pressure on um, the health services, that there are people waiting outside hospitals and ambulances and people down south who can't get the cataract operation and all the rest of it. People, voters relate to that. Someone's got a relative that's in a queue somewhere. Um, the other thing here is the, the, the super spending and what they're going to have to do to keep their friends um, on side, being the Greens yep. and New Zealand First, because they're going to have to start considering what are the policies they might have to accommodate in their expenditure, and they haven't done that yet, and they've said this is their, this is their fiscal plan. It doesn't involve the others at the moment. But Winston, the list is getting longer and longer <laughs> and longer. You know, it's like a renovation that's blowing out. So he's got it's a like shop. When you ask your kids to draw up your Christmas list, list. yeah, <laughs> he's got a shopping plan, and it's big and it's kind of costly. If you just look at a few of the things, getting rid of GST on food, that's going to cost around four billion dollars a year. There is wiping student debt, forgiving student so debt. Four and a half. Is yep, it? that's right. So you're starting to get up. Northport, he reckons yes, around the rail, two, the rail yeah, line to yeah, Fungray. Yeah, yep. he reckons around two hundred million. But if you look at other people's estimates for that, it could be two, three times that. So, and he obviously won't have a bar of um, cutting off the age for super. So, you know, no. the, the policy about paying into the super funds probably going to light up his dial. But there are other things that he's going to want that are costly. And there's an interesting way that we relate to Winston with that because Winston, we've been talking a lot in recent weeks. You know, oh, could he be prime minister and what's his power in coalition? And and he, you know, laughs it off and has his great one-liners. But we often get into a situation about this time in a campaign when Winston starts to, to make all kinds of promises mm. and they never get fiscaled, really. We never actually drill into the money with him. And I think that's a bit of a risk for us. We, get a, we have a lot of, you know, in the media, we have a lot of good time mm. talking about Winston stuff. But if he genuinely is going to be in one government or the other in, in, in a few months' time then I hope that this time we actually start to really demand some numbers well, it, from it them. it is difficult. It's difficult for the public, and I think it's difficult for the media, and there's an intersection there too, because there is less expectation that a smaller party will be able to deliver on those promises. But I think Tim yeah. makes a very good point. As your polling increases and as the expectations increase, then presumably so do your obligations increase to make sure that that's real. And I don't want to shift subjects too quickly here, but we saw that a little bit, didn't we, with... Winston Peters on the referendum um, oh, yeah. o- over the week. I mean, promising a referendum on the Māori seats and then having to say, well, maybe only Māori would get a say. Um, should we have a listen to Winston Peters and what he actually said um, on Morning Report with Kim Hill? Specifically, how's Māori progress being roadblocked by the Māori seats? They've, 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 they've failed to focus on the things that Māori really need and they've been obsessed with issues that uh, have not advanced the mass majority of Māori. For example, here, here comes a tragic figure. Māori homeownership has declined in the last 20 years by 38%. Now, that is mind-boggling. bad. It's awful. And how do we ever get allow that to happen? Now, I think what we've seen in recent years, and you'll see it, Māori arguing about the foreshore and the seabed, arguing about water, which is a gift from God, uh, about separatism and parallel governments and all those sorts of things have not helped Māori at all. They've taken Māori's eye off the prize. 
That's Winston Peters talking with Kim Hill. And Lisa, then he got himself into a, a, a bit of trouble. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a couple of, well, well, more than a couple of issues, aren't there, always, with, um, with Winston. Shane Jones has obviously recently come on board. He's on the Māori role, and he was... I spoke to him on The Nation and asked him about Māori seats, and he said, uh, no, Māori people should decide whether they're still required. They should be there as long as Māori wants them there. And then, obviously, uh, another um, long-time New Zealand first, Peter Parawani, has basically said exactly the same thing. So who is Winston asking about whether we should keep the Māori seats or not? Is he asking everybody who's enrolled... Or not everybody. And, then and he had I to need clarify. a flowchart because I can't follow where we're <laughs> well, at He was with offering that. a cartoon, wasn't yes, he? Yes, <laughs> he was offering a cartoon. He said there'll be a speech with cartoons for people who can't follow along. I'm yeah. looking but forward for, to the cartoons. Uh, for, for, uh, for about 24 hours there, he, he Winston Peters had lost control of a one-man yeah. party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he, was, he, was, he was out of sync. He, he'd overreached himself. And yeah. then he had to bring out a clarifying statement, hadn't he? And, and look, you know, he'll, he'll, be, um, you know, he'll be bristling at this as he listens, as I know you do, Winston. Yeah. Um, well, wait but, till we get to his stretching of the truth on but, his figures, then. But, but, yeah. he, but he did. He did sow the seeds of doubt by telling the Herald that there'd be a speech coming to clarify his yeah. position, that what the one with cartoons Tunes. that we were promised. Yeah. And, and then, he, and then he came out with the clarifying a statement. But he is going to push back. I don't think we should underestimate the number of Maori voters who vote for Winston Peters. The esteem with which he's held in the in the north. Anyone who's ever been to Waipangi Day in. Uh, 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 up there will see the uh, the reverence with which he is treated by uh, elements of the Māori community. And he is going to be going around places where there's going to be serious pushback. Yet the Pākehā in his meetings are going to love it, a lot of them in his meetings. Yeah, some won't. He's gonna, no, some won't. Yeah. But he's going to face real pushback. And the same with Shane Jones, who, as you say, is, supports the Māori seats. Same with Peter Parione and a number of other prominent Māori who have backed New Zealand first will be upset about this. So I just wonder, you've got to think, why, why did he do that? He obviously was facing some pushback or some doubt, wasn't he? Does, mm. I don't know. Does Peters ever doubt himself? I don't know. And it's been, it's been part of their, their agenda for a very long time, but he's, he's clearly played that card. But he is. He's, but but if, again, if he, gets, like, if he yeah. gets pushback from prominent Māori, doesn't that but actually again, suit him? Well, good question. That yeah, actually yeah, probably yeah. he's quite happy yeah. with that. If if he just says, yep, that's the Maori brown table coming out and coming at me and I care about the Maori at the bottom of the heap, not those um, the Waitangi business. Yeah, it feeds into your argument, though, when, you, when you're creeping up towards 14%, which he has in some polls, mm. people take it a bit more seriously. I think he, he, you're right that he has had this policy in the past, despite having all the Maori seats in 96. <laughs> yes, not right. absolutely. Right. We're, we're in the business so, of making sure people don't forget he had all the Maori seats yeah. in 96. Now doesn't want so any when it suited him, For he sure. was yeah. happy but to take the benefits of when he's of at four, five, six percent in polls, or when he's just a minor player, people seem well, they don't, they, they don't take it so seriously. Then. Let's ask another question: Who's got the Māori seats now, and who's it going to advantage to get rid of them? None of them, I would argue. I mean, well, I mean, incumbents na- though. Yeah, but so, na- but national, if national's dealing with the Māori party, they don't want to get rid of them, and and, and Labour can't. I mean, Māori have been hugely supportive of Labour. They can't really get rid of them either. No, is exactly. Take them? No, that's what I mean. Well, it's interesting because the national actually hasn't come out and said one way or the other yet whether they're whether no, they're going that yet, which, no, which is going to be interesting. They're getting they sort of backside on the fence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, because yeah, they've sort of parked it up because as Guyon says, they parked it up because you can't be 
saying get rid of the Māori seats when you're being propped up no. by a party that's in Parliament yeah, exactly. thanks to the Māori seats. So, it's but it's, it's 230-odd thousand people on the Māori roll, and... If if they're asked whether they if if it is just them that is asked whether they want to get rid of them, well, that might that might be a parcel that explodes in well, his face. Well, we had a continuing <laughs> referendum on the Māori seats um, every five years. With the, it's called the Māori electoral option, yeah. and, and and that is what it is. And there are seven Māori seats because X number, the one that you gave, two hundred thirty, is it? Yeah, two hundred percent. Yeah, about two hundred thirty-seven thousand yeah. are on the, on the roll. Be, and it would drop as they drop off the roll because it's all proportional to, no, to, to how many. No, but also which brings us to the point about. Oh, there's not that. I mean, Winston was making sort of mumblings about there's not that many people on no, over the, the past vast, few years. The vast majority gone. of Maori are on the uh, are on the general roll. Where in <laughs> fact only forty five percent are on the general roll. Fifty five percent are on the Maori roll. So yeah. you know, people are speaking with their uh, their, their their vote. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move now to. You'd have to say it was the biggest item on the agenda this week. Materia um, today, and her confession that yeah. she had. Misled wins, I think. Well, lied to wins, really. Let's lied. be fair. Her words were, I would not tell the truth. Can we hear her? Um, we can. At, at her own word. I could not afford to live and study and keep my baby well on the benefit. I had to keep the secret from wins. Like many families who rely on a benefit, Pew and I, we moved around a lot. Uh, we lived in five different flats um, when she was little. And three of those flats... I had extra flatmates that I didn't dare tell Wins about. I knew that if I told the truth about how many people were living in the house with me, my benefit would be cut. And I knew that my baby and I, we just could not get by on what was left if that happened. So I need to get out a few hands on this one. On one hand, we've got a politician, a senior politician, saying that she lied to a government agency. That's problematic. It has to be. I just I don't think you can get around that. Um, we have just been through the Barclay story. We can think back to many um, politicians who have been slapped down for for honesty offences. Um, we expect our politicians to tell the truth, and um, I, you know that's got to be a problem, especially for a party which is built on taking the high moral ground as the Greens have. On the other hand, this was a long time before she was a politician. Um, she didn't do it while she was in office. Uh, there is the argument that you know who of us should cast the first stone because who hasn't maybe in their own time on the benefit not quite told everything, um, who hasn't done a cashy at some point, maybe paid someone under the table, which is, you know, technically defrauding IRD. There are yeah. a lot of, you know, and, and there is this, the child and there is the suggestion that, you know, you look after your kids and you do what you got to do when you're looking after your kids. But, it's but not on a, the other yeah. hand, it's not like the child was starving in the street. There are other things you could have done. So, the, you know, there are a lot of balances It's here. not in a vacuum. We've got to look at this in the context mm. of the politics around it because she's not simply telling her story. She is the co-leader of a party who is putting it all out there to get into government this time round. I think this is a case of, you know, to use a sports analogy, leaving nothing, nothing on the field. She is going full ball. If it backfires, so be it, because they have been out in the cold for so long. This is do or die kind of stuff. So she is telling the story in that context. I'd be interested to know, she's a lawyer, I'd be interested to know if she took legal advice before she did this. She's spartan on the details. She gives you a basic outline of the details. How long, But not the minutiae, not how much. And you're right, it's 20 years ago and, you know, glass houses and stone throwing and all the rest of it. But I do wonder, should you not have paid it back? 
should you not have estimated how much you owe mm. and paid it back because you could have tidied up this whole situation by telling your story, raising the issues that beneficiaries face. I don't think anyone thinks it's a fun time living on a benefit. Well, very few people do. And tidy it up by saying, I am making an amends for that. I have paid, blah, wins. Even make it a charity. Even, even a, a charity. charity. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. call, yeah. Guy, even, charity. Even, even a charity. I seem to remember one political party uh, who had to pay back money uh, putting it to a, <laughs> uh, a charity. That's right. New Zealand, Zealand 148000 comes yeah. to The strategic stuff interests me here. The Greens have spent months, if not years, trying to show that they are not scary. You've got James Shaw going around the business audiences. You've got moves towards the centre, which had even worried people a little bit. You had them talking about that immigration had gone too far. They had been moving into a place where they wanted to be seen as a credible partner for Labour in a centre-leftish government. And this seems an example of the fact that they've suddenly got pretty spooked that their even their base might be abandoning them and that they had softened the edges too Do you much. think they were rallying rallying I, their I, own I, troops? I think they're rallying the base with, with this. I don't think that they you could argue that there'd be too many centrist voters who would be rallying to, to, no. to this sort of uh, rhetoric from... But the people, you're right, the so, people who are angry with them now, they don't care that they're angry with them. But I also, them. hang on, don't you think it's a risky business when you might have people who are on terribly low incomes, maybe minimum wage? There was lots of stories on The Nation. We did, um, Mike Wesley-Smith did these great stories about people living in cars who were earning money. They were working. They were just the working poor. Now, are those people going to sit in their car listening to Matidia on the radio well, well, saying that she's pinched some money from the really and go, and this is, the this is the really interesting point because to, to answer that question, we need to know who the Green voters are. And yes. I looked back last election at the actual numbers, and it's pretty interesting in terms of the idea that it's the poor voters who vote for the Greens because it is not. No. If you look at Epsom, right? Yeah. The, probably the richest electorate in the country, there were 4,700 700 party votes for the Greens. That is more than the total combined of Māngari, Manukau East and Manurewa. Wow. So the, the, in, in Māngari, the Greens get 1,000 votes. In Manukau East, 971. In Manurewa, just over 1,000 votes. So 3,000 in those big, poor South Auckland seats, party yeah. votes for Greens. In Epsom alone, 4,700 Green votes. Take another a very rich in terms of income electorates, Wellington Central, 11,500 party votes for the Greens, 2,000 more than the Labour Party. I think that's so, really so interesting. It, it is interesting, and it, it shows actually it's the middle to upper income earners who are voting Green. Now, I know that might that might sound strange for people, and I'm happy if is. someone wants to crack back and say that my analysis is flawed, but if you look at rich seats, they're voting for the Greens. Yep. And if you look at the um, the kind of response that this has got, I, I wonder whether you're right, Lisa, that a lot of the people who are doing it really hard might not like this message at all. And I did hear some of them tune in as I tuned yep. into Talkback this week. I'd like to know what people are saying on Talkback. People might have a crack at me on that too. <laughs> but I think it is interesting what people are saying in response of that. And a lot of the defenders of it have may well have been the people in those suburbs who are uh, exactly. who are voting for the I Greens. Think what do you a, think? Yeah, I think, I think there are people, I think your urban liberal vote that is, that is behind the Greens um, will be relatively sympathetic to that. They will say, um, and I've seen a lot of it on Twitter, who are that urban liberal constituency saying, you know, 
if I was in that seat, of course, I'd do what it took for it to, to help a kid. And potentially even people who are those battlers you're talking about mm. may well think, you know, at some point I've done that as well. I mean, I think there are very few people who probably haven't pushed the system at some point. Yeah. I so think, there could be some, some, some actually, she's one of us. I think there's an interesting um, uh, conundrum here. I think you can sympathise and um, empathise with the difficulty of surviving or subsisting on a benefit. I think you can, in your mind, say those benefits need to be raised, more needs to be done here. You can support that, that cause and that co-papa, but you can also say it is wrong to do what she did. I don't think they're mutually exclusive things because it's raised the issue of whether to dis her for this is to dis all beneficiaries and the needs of beneficiaries. Now, I think it is possible to address the fraud and the behaviour, the alleged fraud, although she has admitted that she diddled the books in order to get the money. You can separate that out and still argue for the cause that she got up and argued for in her speech. I think that this was classic wedge politics. And we usually, hmm. usually use that from phrase the, yeah. from, from the, 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 the right engage yeah. with that. What she wanted, right, was her opponents to come out and say, this is disgraceful, I've never done this. And then she wanted they the comparisons. Didn't. With, they, wanted, they didn't buy into it. They didn't they as much. Let's breath. have a listen. We've actually got those clips. So let's have a listen to what some of the other party leaders and senior politicians did say in response to her speech. Certainly a very honest thing to do. Certainly not something I would encourage is to act outside the rules. But I'm not unsympathetic to the fact that you know a lot of people on benefits are doing a tough no no one ever got wealthy on a benefit. Yeah, I think it's pretty disappointing. I don't think people should uh, lie to work and income. I think people work really hard in this country and pay their taxes, and we like having a social security system that supports those that can't support themselves, and they want it to be fair. And for that, we expect people to be honest and um, not cheating. Well, it's a fraud on the system that's happened here, but I'm not going to moralise about 20 years later. I think also we got to talk about the substance of the package that they announced. It was called the Mending the Safety Net, I think was the um, terminology that they used. $1.5 billion a year, you know, that really tops out Labor's package, which was, um, you know, the the second biggest so far in the lineup. Hmm. And dropping the bottom tax rate to 9% from 10.5%, raising core benefits by 20%. 20%. And ditching all those um, sanctions. sanctions. Now, the thing (laughs) I want to say about this, and I've talked to the Children's Commissioner a few times, this basically actually mirrors the office of the Children's Commissioner and some of the things that they talk about, which is they were saying indexing benefits to um, uh, wages like super because it's the most successful universal um, benefit and also dropping sanctions, like one sanction alone, which is the one where you don't name the other parent. There are 13,000 families who are having their benefits docked because only one parent is named and that affects 17,000 children and the Children's Commissioner says that is um, it's not targeting the problem. It's mm. uh, you know, isn't it interesting though? I mean, and you've you've got a good grasp of those those numbers, and um, yeah, it, you know, it's it's good to investigate that. But isn't it interesting that she intentionally? Derailed that own debate because what 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 the, I've had some pushback did at the media. Oh, well, did she derail she, the debate? Yeah. Oh, or would we be gassing did. about it to the extent well, using up as well, much no, oxygen as we right. are if, if she hadn't done that? Well, that's fair, it's a fair fair call. Derail is probably the wrong word. She purposefully chose to make a personal emotional connection with the elect- and I think did it successfully. We're still talking about it, so that's great. But she did that, and there's been pushback at the media. Oh, why aren't you doing what you've just done and look at the substance of the policy? Well, 
she invited us. She did. To, to, to look away, look away at the numbers and, and look at the personal connection. And that was interesting. And I this thought. is the new green. This is the, this yeah. is the Greens taking a very different tack in this election from, from the last few. Um, probably any, any election. They are clearly, they have spent a lot of time in the past working out really elegant policy yes. and putting out um, very, you know, what they would see as very deep and caring policy statements and getting very little pick up. Mm. They have clearly strategically decided yeah. that they're going to, and, and look at the last few weeks. We have talk we, this is our third episode of caucus we have talked about them each week and I, you know the people I'm hearing from from around them, mm. I they will have something every week from now into the election. They are talking, and that is politics alongside policy. Yep. They they're not you just a policy party anymore. Yeah. They're politics yeah. as well as policy. Winston will be very proud of me that I know what a trifecta is, but I do think that this is a rephrasing. <laughs> I do think that this is a trifecta. I looked back at the speech that she gave the week before because it was two weekends in a row. She talked a lot about truth, speaking truth to power. People will need to be to rely on their politicians to tell the truth. The Greens will speak the truth, even if it's harmful. Then what happens the next week? She speaks her own truth. Mm. Well, look, guys, I think that's just about all we've got time for. Um, We're going to get booted out of the studio anyway. Yeah, we are. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look, thanks for your time. And everybody, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Anjana Rangi today, who's been playing the clips. Thanks to Copra Audio, who made our theme music. If you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your uh, podcasts, please do take a few seconds and rate and review us. We'd owe you one for that. If you enjoyed this, you could also listen to Slice of Heaven, an RNZ podcast that looks at immigration coming into the election. It's hosted by Noam McCarthy, and she's been all around the country talking to the politicians but also the real people and it's a great series but thanks for listening we'll have you back again for caucus next week tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts good news ad free listening is available on amazon music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your prime membership Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.